folks have been asking for a boss basketball centric episode. No football talk, no transfer portal talk. We're going to talk about the Boston College Eagles who sit at eight and three, and we're joined by Beacon Street Ball today. He's going to give us all the details and answer some of your questions all on today's show. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, welcome. This is Locked On Boston College. I am your host, AJ Black. I am the publisher of Eagle Insider, part of the 247 Network. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. You guys have been asking. You wanted more basketball talk. And we've had Beacon Street Ball on a couple times, and we've had great reviews. And he's here today. Beacon Street Ball is a staff writer of mine over at Eagle Insider. He's here today to talk about the 8-3 and three Eagles. Beak, how's it going? It's going good. I'm excited to talk ball, my favorite thing. All right. The, you know, there's transfer portal talk. There's recruiting talk. But let's be realistic. The biggest story of this week was beating Rick Pitino in New York and, def- you know, taking down St. John's, a team that was, what were they, top 50? Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah, I think they came in at 62 in the net and 48 or 49 on Ken Palm. So, yeah, top 50, 55 teams somewhere, wherever you want to call it. How important was this win for BC and where what Earl Grant's doing? I mean, I think it was huge. I I, I personally am of the opinion that it, it's the most important win of the Earl Grant tenure. The, the Virginia win is probably bigger um, and, and a better win, let's say. Uh, but that's at home, and, and we know the way that the – sort of computers and, and even the selection committee, right? As we sort of look way ahead towards an NCAA tournament, view neutral site and road games. And, and their biggest thing is those games that aren't played in your home arena. So I think to take down this team in New York, neutral site, it was huge. I mean, I think it was everything. And I think the way they played throughout that game was a really telling, maybe, or maybe a little foreshadowing, if you will, to what this team is capable of, which is that if they do get punched in the mouth for a little bit, and they did for, you know, the early part of that second half, they are able to bounce back. And and that's something that I think myself and anyone who's watched this team over the past, you know, a couple of years under Earl has really wondered is, you know, when you get down 10 to a, to a team that isn't a bottom 100 team in the nation, how are you going to fare? And they did a very, very good job of of taking that punch, punching right back, and then ultimately winning the battle. So who stood out in that game? Obviously, Quinton Post, you know, and when everyone, any, anyone talks about a BC game, he he had a big <laughs> game. But when you watch that, like what players to you were like, wow, that is that is a very good uh, player. That's a very good game by that by that certain person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we we have to start with Quinton Post. And I wrote this on uh, Eagle Insider when I did my recap earlier this week, right? Is I think this cements Quinton Post as a as an NBA guy. I, I don't think I know there were scouts in the building and and they I think everyone knows Quinton can shoot the basketball. I think everyone knows that Quinton is an offensive player from a scoring standpoint. But what he did defensively in this game and rebounding the basketball and passing the basketball what was something that I don't think I've ever seen from a BC big at that level. I mean the 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 sort of creating looks for his teammates. It wasn't just assists where he was you know moving the ball to the next open guy. I mean he was. He was effectively playing point forward. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, 
Joel Soriano there uh, for St. John's is that's as big of a body as you're going to see in, in high major basketball. And, you know, he and post, I think went back and forth a little bit for the first 20, 25 minutes. And then post, I think realized like, Hey, you know, I, I can guard this kid if I just play him straight up. And that's what he did for the final 15. And, and I thought he was by far the better player. I think Soriano outscored him, but it, it was fairly clear to me who the better basketball player was. And, I'm hoping from post perspective, that's just a huge confidence builder. But to, to answer your question more, more pointedly, you know, I, I thought Mason Matson and, and Chaz Kelly did a heck of a job. I'll, I'll start with Chaz. I've been hard on Chaz all year, but you know, when it mattered most, he was really the guy who led the run. He had nine points in the final seven minutes, finished with 13 points. But the biggest thing I think was his composure. And he talked about that a little in the post game where, you know, he knows what, this team needs and that's a rock and somebody who can, you know, keep everyone calm. And I thought he did a great job of that. And then you have somebody like Mason who, you know, he might've only played 19 minutes and he finished with just seven points and four boards, but he hit that huge three uh, to sort of cap off the end of the run to come back. And I thought for the third game in a row, he was, he was a spark plug, which is, I think everything that we as BC fans have wanted him to be for the last, Mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know what anyone thought of him coming in I don't think if anyone really understood the role myself included but I think for the last you know full year of basketball we've like listen this is a guy who needs to be able to provide quick you know as I just said spark plug like offense and and I think for the third straight game he did exactly that and it might have only been seven points against uh, St. John's there on Sunday but it was seven timely points that that gave this team a lift yeah, and uh, I want to shout out Trevor Haas, who wrote a really great article on him, if you haven't checked it out already on the Globe. Um, but it kind of talks a little bit about his his path back um, from a pretty – you know, he had an illness and, and um, what was it, an autoimmune disorder? Yeah, I believe that popped, that's right. That popped up that really impacted how he, you know, was progressing last year. And, you know, he got treatment, and he's he's he seems like a different player at times this year so far, which is – Exactly. Like you said, it, it was great to see. So going ahead, now that you have the St. John's win, can you kind of put a bow on this out of conference schedule? Is this what you expected? Is it better? Is it worse? Where do you think they kind of ended up as long as they yeah. beat Lehigh? Yeah. So I, and that's the biggest thing first and foremost, right? Is take care of business against Lehigh. I, I think everyone um, who I've talked to pretty close to the program or who follows the program pretty closely is, is sort of, it's sort of an unspoken thing right now. It, it's, you know, we're so close to coming out unscathed, something we haven't done, you know, for right. six, seven years. He, really, since you go back to that 2017, 2018 team, which started 10 and three with Jerome Robinson and Kai Bowman. Uh, yeah, they left non-conference unscathed and they had a Duke win all before, uh, you know, the first of the year. Uh, and I think for this BC team, I think we would all say that this was taking care of business plus one. So I, I view that as no bad losses as it currently stands. I'm not going to count Loyola as a bad loss because the computers don't count it as a bad loss. So, you know, that that right now is is not a good, not a bad. It's just a loss. And then St. John's is obviously a good win. And and I think when, you know, the committee is going to look at it, and I, I try to view it as, you know, the goal being the NCAA tournament, right now you're – best win far outpaces your your worst loss and I think for non-conference that's really all you could ask for would I have loved to beat Loyola and St. John's yes but would I have rather beat St. John's than Loyola also yes so I think it it nets out really well and I do think it sets up 
very, very well for this team to make a real, real run at an NCAA tournament berth. Like, I don't think anyone inside the program is sitting here and saying, we've done anything to hurt our chances two months through the year. And, and you know, a win over Lehigh will cement that. And I, I think that's a, an important message for the fan base, right? Like, you, you've been you've been waiting for this team to take that next step. And it seems like th- they've done everything in the first month and a half to get themselves to that. Now, now with ACC play coming up around the new year, it's going to be important to get Conti Forum packed again. And and I have, I have faith that the fans are going to get there, but it, it goes to without saying that this team right now is in a spot where they need to get themselves, get the fans there too. Yeah. I mean, I, this is something that I was looking at myself uh, yesterday actually. And, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me. So, so paraphrase me, but I'm paraphrasing here, but I think attendance through the first six home games is about 54% um, average, which is, not good. I'm not saying it is good, but it is better than where we've been at at this point for the prior two years. I'll go back to one year post COVID. And, and so I think that is, that's positive. Right. But I, I also do see what everyone says on online, which is that, you know, we got to get this building more full. And and obviously the easiest way to do that is with students. And, and I, I'm a big believer that basketball games at BC are, are a pretty good time. And, and they're very easy to get to the arenas on right on campus. Not something that every school has. So I'm hopeful that, you know, when you come back from the students come back from break, only one game, Wake Forest uh, in between there, I believe they come back with Notre Dame pretty early and, and hopefully that game has some juice. And then that build, they, uh, we get a win. And, and next thing you know, we're, we're building juice uh, for the final month and a half, two months of the season. All right. In our next segment, I'm going to open the floor to you, the listeners, who have asked questions of Beak, and I'm going to read some of those questions to him, have him answer them. You're going to want to hear what he has to say about their starting five and their ceiling, and we'll talk all about that in just a moment. Now, I am a big fan of going out, going to basketball games, going to football games, and you If you're like me, you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seats, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Now, I've said this before. I used game time for a football game over uh, over this last college football season when I went to the UVA game as a fan with my family. Knew it was going to rain found the tickets that I knew would be covered by using their seat locator. It was amazing. I got exactly what I needed, kept my family dry. That's what game time is all about, getting you the seats that you want. So game time has deals on tickets right up to the starting event and even an hour after it starts. Hey, if you want to go to a Patriots game right now, they'll tell you about how how low the prices are dropped. I mean, if you want to go to a Pats game right now, you're going to get in real cheap. So, what you need to do, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Again, use that promo code, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E, for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. This is Locked On BC. I am your host, AJ Black. And I'm here with Beacon Street Ball. We are talking about basketball. We have some great questions from the fan base out there, Meet Beacon. I want to start it off, um, and I want to get you your first question, and it comes from Josh Ike. Let's assume a bit of a worst-case scenario where the ACC is a five-bid league. 
is top five in the ACC a realistic outcome for Boston College? Yeah, you know, I, this is a question that I saw in the comments as well on uh, my most recent recap from the St. John's game on Eagle Insider. And, and I thought about it some uh, some more after I replied. And, and I want to start with saying, do I think BC has the ability to be a top five team? A hundred percent. I don't think Duke's particularly strong. I, I watched Miami play live on Sunday before BC. They've got a lot of issues, and I think BC matches up pretty well. But that being said, I, I think the idea of the ACC being a five-bid league as it currently stands is, is unrealistic. I mean, I think you're looking at Duke's probably going to figure it out. So that's one, Virginia, Clemson, North Carolina, and Miami. So that's five right there. Then you have BC, which I think right now would be a bubble team at worst. You have NC State that started pretty well, and you have Pittsburgh, who's played very, very well. So I, I think probably seven teams get in. Uh, that's where I would put the number, in which case I expect BC to be right there for a, you know, somewhere between five to seven, I think is a realistic finishing point uh, in the conference. And then you just have work to do at the ACC tournament in Washington, D.C. That's that's how I view it. All right. Ben, <coughs> excuse me, Ben Graves asks, what do you think the impact of bringing both Donald Hand and Mason Matson off the bench as a package has done for the team? Seems to me like it's a big change of pace for the opposition to try and defend and has given both of them more confidence. I completely agree. I, I think the biggest thing for this team with Mason on the floor is the spacing. I The ability, when you have Mason on the floor as opposed to, I'm going to use Prince as the most obvious flaw, uh, switch. Prince is not currently being guarded outside of 15 to 16 feet, like about the free throw line and out teams aren't even bothering with Mason teams. I think after this past week, we saw St. John's doing this, right? They're going over screens and they're really viewing Mason probably as a three or four feet behind the three point line threat. Well, that's the greatest thing to happen to this team because it gives guys like Donald Hand and Chaz Kelly and Claudel Harris the ability to drive, but then at the same time, it helps out Quentin Post, it helps out Devin McLaughlin, where they just have more room to operate uh, in the low block. So I think it's been huge. I'm so happy to see Donald Hand uh, bounce back from sort of going down at the end of that NC State game. I think we all sort of collectively held our breath, but he's bounced back and he's I mean, you can make the argument he's had just as good of a three-game run as Mason has had the past uh, past week or so. All right. And then C-Mart asks, are Prince, and you're going to help me with what this means, 97.5 ORTG? Offensive rating. Okay. Thank you. On, K- on Ken Palm. <laughs> and Chaz, 81.7 offensive rating. Good enough defensively to warrant their current minutes. I understand staggering scores off the bench, but can't help but imagine how much better our offense would be with more minutes of Donald Han Jr. and Mason starting with the starters. Yeah, so I, I'm going to start with Chaz Kelly because I think the case of Chaz Kelly is more interesting than Prince of Ligby. So for Chaz, there's no denying that Chaz had a terrible, terrible start to the season. Like he was, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, as I like to say, but, and I have it up in front of me, so I, I'm, you know, probably a little bit armed with armed and dangerous here. Chaz has been a plus two. So he's been positive over his last five games. That's 82 minutes. He started three of those games. And I think that matters. Now you go to Prince Oligbe, who I think had a better start than he has been recently. And for Prince over his last five games, even though I don't think he's played particularly well, he's a plus 27. So I, I think it's tough for 
either one to really be viewed. And I don't love what Prince does on offense because of what I just said, right? He's clogging up the lane because he can't hit a jumper. But the numbers don't lie. I mean, he he hasn't hit a three-pointer in his last um, five games, but yet he's still shooting over 50%, and he's you know still contributing in a positive way. So it, it's really tough to say. I, I uh, was talking about this with somebody close to the program uh, yesterday, I think, um, and I just don't see a way Prince loses his starting lineup position unless there's like a weird matchup and, and I don't even know who that would be in the ACC. Miami's the first one to come to mind, but I expect Prince to probably start for the remainder of the year, just because he, he does provide a really good defensive option on anyone down from your two guards, three or, you know, your smaller centers. All right. In a moment, I have a few more questions as we're going to wrap things up with Beacon street ball to talk a little bit about, the starting five, who he thinks they, their starting five should be, kind of. We already talked a little bit about it. I have questions about Prince of League B, and then the ceiling of the team. We're gonna get into all that in just a moment. Now, oops, having a little technical difficulty here. <laughs> if you are doing daily fantasy sports, there's no better place to do it than Prize Picks, where I have won 25 times my money this football season, and now I can play during basketball season too. You just select two or more players, pick more or less their projected stats, and place your entries. With basketball season, you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you could do LeBron James and Travis Kelsey for a 10.5 combo on three points made and receptions, and you could do this alongside famous P players like Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You just find them under the community plays. I love prize picks. It's easy to use and they have a reboot policy. So even if your player is hurt, you're not going to get hosed in your pick. You just pick, uh, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, the player is rebooted. Prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform that has injury insurance. And with quick and easy payouts, prize pick is the easiest and most uh, confident place I would go to make my prize uh, daily fantasy picks so go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars again that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars that's prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy this is locked on bc i'm your host aj black we're wrapping things up here with Beacon Street Ball. Before I get into that, Beacon is on our site writing great basketball content. If you are into BC basketball right now, 50% off a daily, uh, a year, sorry, daily, yearly subscription. You can get in for, it's like three bucks a month. Um, and you're going to get all sorts of great coverage from Beacon. You're going to get Mitch's football. You're going to get B, uh, BC hockey blog for hockey. And you'll get all the scoops and recruiting news from me. Um, it, we got everything over there. So head on over, get yourself subscribed. I'll have the notes, um, the link in the show notes. If you are listening now, we have a few more questions for you, Beak. So let's, let's start this off. Um, and I just lost my page. There we go. So crunch time, five in conference, five, who are your five in conference play? feel like the only locks are post and, and Jaden Zachary. After that feels like it go in a number of directions. This is from John Hillman, not John Hillman, the former running back, <laughs> different person. So, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think I think it's go. I I'll give you two answers. I think it's going to be post 
uh, Devin McLaughlin, the hotter shooter of Donald Hand and Mason Madsen, and then Jaden Zachary and a hotter shooter of Claude L. Harris and Chaz Kelly. And I know that's a terrible answer, but I think Chaz has proven he can defend as well as Claudel has. And let's face it, the biggest game that BC has won all year is St. John's, and Chaz Kelly was the best player for the final 10 minutes. So that that's going to go a long way. However, right. what I think it should be is I would just go straight up. I would go Zachary, Claudel, uh, Madsen, McLaughlin, and Post, and I would just trust that there's enough scoring there to get it done, and the defense can come second. All right. I'm going to go into our comments section because there's a great question here that I didn't even think of. I know you talked about this earlier on the site, but without without specifics, why did TJ Bickerstaff leave Boston College? BC definitely could use him this year. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think there just wasn't a role that he was comfortable with is probably the best way to put it. I think that within the program, there was enough belief in Devin that he could stay on the floor for long enough. That's not to say that, that, you know, Devin, I think Devin was probably just as good as TJ last year, but Devin's big issue was he couldn't stay out of foul trouble. Right. And I think there was enough belief that he could do that. And then, and I've mentioned this a couple of times on Twitter. And I I think I even mentioned it on the first time I was on with you, which is I think Earl wants to play four guards. I've believed that since the day he got hired and Bickerstaff is far too small to play the five. Whereas, so if he asked, my point being, if he had to swap between Bickerstaff and Glock at the five, it, it just wasn't going to work. Whereas if he only has Glock, he can move Glock out for Madsen and he doesn't have to worry about finding Bickerstaff minutes. I, I uh, am not a big Bickerstaff guy from a basketball standpoint. He's obviously been very, very good so far this year on an undefeated James Madison team. So hopefully he keeps it up, but I, I really find it hard to believe that we got two years of TJ at, at BC and he never was really able to figure out against high major competition. So not everybody's high major guys. In my opinion, it's as simple as that. All right. Next question from speed racer fan club president. This, wow. What yeah, a right. Do you think Prince Oligby can become a serviceable shooter or is he doomed to, be, to become Steph Mitchell part two? That's a great question. Do I think he can? I At this point, I honestly don't know. I watched a lot of Prince Oligby high school tape before he came in, and he couldn't hit a three-pointer in high school. So that makes me say no. Steph Mitchell could shoot prior to coming to Boston College. So I don't know if there's anyone on the staff who's going to be able to rework a jump shot. I think Prince has all the ability in the world to do it, I'm just not sure there's someone on the staff who's rebuilding jump shots. So I'm going to say, unfortunately, I'm not sure he ever figures out the three-point shooting or really jump shooting as a whole. All right. Now we have Bruce M on Twitter who asks, what is the ceiling of this team? Realistically, I probably a sweet 16 team and that probably sounds crazy, but I think right now Quinton post is probably a top three big in the country and probably a top 15 player. Mm. And if he can continue playing this well, I think they're going to have a real shot in the ACC tournament. That's the first thing. Um, And then the second thing would be when you play in the NCAA tournament, 
there are so many games that come down to who has the best player on the floor. When mid-majors have the best player on the floor, they pull upsets. When they don't, they typically don't. I don't see many teams where Quinton Post isn't going to be a matchup nightmare. And for that reason, I, I honestly do think the Sweet 16 is probably as far as this team could go if everyone stays healthy and, and they keep shooting at the clip that they've been shooting the past week. All right. Mark Falzone in our comments section asks, what are the various roles for the assistant coaches and what are your assessments of them? <laughs> oh God, this is a loaded question. I know, right? Uh, all right. We're, we're going to, I'll be start with the roles. So um, we've got Earl who's head coach, obviously uh, I would call him a CEO. We've got Jim Molinari, who is sort of a, a defensive coordinator meets uh, interior post play specialist. We've got Anthony Goins, who I would call a co-offensive coordinator with Earl. And we've got uh, Corey McRae, who I, I couldn't really tell you what Corey McRae does. I, I, I don't want to diminish him as a hype guy, but I think he's largely a hype guy. Uh, and then we've got, I'm not going to go into names, whatever, but then we've got your video guys and, and your sort of grab managers. And then we have uh, Adam Walsh, friend of the program personally, uh, who's the director of basketball obligations, uh, operations, not obligations. What are my <laughs> assessments? I, I'm not an Anthony Goins guy, so I'm just going to focus on him. I, I don't love the offense that Goins runs, but I will say this. I think the offense has gotten significantly better since Kansas City. Uh, there was some stuff in that St. John's game, which as soon as I figure out how to, I said this on the last episode, but I am hoping to do it before the Lehigh game. As soon as I can get some time to put together some video breakdowns. I mean, there was some stuff in the second half that was elite level college offense with back cutting and the way they were using post to move defense defenses sort of back towards the goal line. Uh, or the goal line, Jesus, the basket. Um, so, you know, yeah, I don't know. We're not talking football here. <laughs> I don't my bad. But, yeah, so, I mean, there was some high, high-level offensive stuff. So, you know, maybe Goins is growing on me a little bit. But, you know, I think Earl does a great job with the defense. Molinari does a great job with the defense. And and I think these coaches have so far to date. I mean, I, I place blame on the head coach whenever teams lose. But I don't think there's a lot to say here negatively about the way the coaches have done so far this year. All right. And I think that wraps up our question. So we had a whole episode just talking basketball and it feels good. So Beak, where can people find your work and tell, you know, if you have stuff that's going on, tell, tell the people about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first and foremost on Twitter, uh, that's at beacon ST ball. Uh, and then hopefully by the middle of next week, we're going to, I'm going to be launching an Instagram account that just does basically play breakdowns. Um, and so stay tuned for that. And then uh, lastly, got some stuff in the works uh, with some players and stuff for, for doing some videos with them and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to a lot of cool stuff, hopefully coming up in the next three or four weeks. But yeah, I appreciate everyone who's followed and I appreciate everyone commenting on the writing and uh, I'm enjoying writing for Eagle Insider and hopefully, you know, there'll be some, some more video breakdown posts in the future. So looking forward to just keeping it going. And you've had some incredible, uh, uh, merch that you've been creating too. I love the hat that you guys just. Came Thank you. With. Yeah, no, the merch is is good. There's there's some exciting stuff coming with the merch in January. Um, going to be making some what I would call more legitimate uh, changes to the merch, and and I think people will really like it. I've spent about eight months building this out, um, so it'll go live. I'm hoping by mid January. We just got a couple things to iron out with uh, the university itself, but. Uh, yeah, got some exciting stuff on the merch stuff. So, yeah, again, it's, Twitter's the main place we're going to push everything. So, 
uh, at Be- Beacon ST Ball. I think it is on Twitter, but Beacon Street Ball. If you look it up, it'll pop right up. And I appreciate everyone helping out. And we're just trying to raise money for you know the university and for good causes and charity. So I appreciate everyone and and you know keep buying it and keep supporting. I, I don't want to trash them because I feel like for other schools they do a great job. But I I think some of the work that you've done with some of this merch is better than what Home Field Apparel has done for Boston College. Yeah, I I don't I listen. You said it. I'm not going to disagree with it. My hope is to be the premier source for non bookstore merch. That's our goal. Um, yep. The people who I do the merch with, and and that's really what hopefully in January we can move into. We like I said, we got some really really cool stuff that's about eight months in the works. Uh, and I think people are going to love it and, and it just takes what we've been doing to a whole nother level. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And I, I can't wait to you know roll it out. All right. Thanks Beak. So this is AJ black. I will be back again on Monday. We're getting closer to the Fenway bowl. It's a big weekend for official visitors for the football program. We, sh- we have lots and lots to talk about. So make sure that you hit that like button. And if you're on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube page. If you're on Spotify or whatever, hit the subscribe button so you're getting every episode of Locked on BC here. Follow me on Twitter at AJBlack247. And again, follow Beak at Beacon Street Ball. We'll be back again on Monday for another episode of Locked on Boston College, your team every day.